be seated. <laughs> you may be seated. There's a recording in progress, <clears throat> in case you didn't know. <clears throat> All right, so uh, if you could go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus 21. Exodus chapter 21, um, we're still... easier without the guitar. <clears throat> and we're still in uh, Exodus, and we're currently going through the law um, that was given to Israel through Moses, all right? So we're going to have the scripture reading uh, on the screen there. I'll be skipping around a little bit, but I'll let you know when we uh, do skip around. So Exodus 21, we're going to do 1 through 11, and then uh, other verses after that. <clears throat> now, these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. <clears throat> if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. All right, now to verse 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. All right, now verses 20 and 21. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. And to 26 and 27. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his, tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his his tooth. That is God's word. What in the world am I supposed to do with that? That is uh, kind of what I was thinking, the way that I was thinking as I first uh, looked at what's, what was coming up in the book of Exodus is, what am I supposed to do with these laws given to the redeemed people of Israel, telling them how they should conduct themselves with their slaves. And so I, I have given this a great deal of prayer and of study, and I've begged God for wisdom. And, um, well, well, you're going to get what you're going to get. <laughs> no, God, God is good, and I'm, I'm so thankful for uh, the, the understanding he has given me. Um, about this law of Moses, I'm sure I have much more to learn, um, but, but God has given me a lot, and I want to pass that on to you. And let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer once again and ask God for his grace here. Father God, slavery is a very difficult, very touchy issue, and yet we love your word. We desire to learn from your word. We want to be transformed by it. We want to glorify you through our obedience to it. And so, Lord, we, we need to understand today what, what was going on when you were giving these laws uh, to the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, God. And Lord, we do. We want to see Christ in the law. We know that all of the law points to Jesus. And Lord, we do want to not be ashamed of you or your word. We want to understand it rightly. We want to uh, be able to apply it in appropriate ways in our lives to glorify you and to love one another. And we pray that you would help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, a big question that, that this set of verses caused me to ask, and, and I, I encourage you to ask it this morning, is this. What makes slavery bad? But another way of asking that would be, is slavery inherently evil? I want to say from the very outset, I have no desire to advocate for modern day slavery. I have no desire to defend any historical slavery. Some of the most horrific atrocities and greatest injustices in human history have occurred within this social construct known as slavery. I was doing some uh, research um, over this past week and I read some just very troubling things. Um, the Americas, you know, North America, South America, Central America, like, you know, we're, we're just part of the world that have, ha have had slavery uh, in our history. Uh, but we, we look back to, you know, the 1500s to 1800s. And during that time, uh, that you have the transatlantic slave trade, and it is estimated that over 12 million black slaves were uh, transported from the Americas during that time. 12 million. We are not talking about a little number. And what's, what's really very bad about that is almost 2 million of the 12 point something million, almost 2 million of those did not make it to America alive. They died of, of disease and malnutrition and, and, and harsh treatment. And you think about it, what was the reward for the 10 million who made it? Well, they, they got beatings and they were, you know, they're sold as cattle. Uh, you, you have just all these continual injustices being done to them. I mean, this is a horrible blotch on America's history. I mean, and that's just something that we have to, to face. I, I recognize that none of you have owned slaves. You've not bought or sold slaves. But this is, this is a bad part of our history. And we should feel sorrowful and lament for what has happened in our history here in America. And I, I do want to mention as well, we're not done with slavery yet. Right now in the world, there are more slaves than ever before in world history. We call it human trafficking. I'm not sure why the word has changed, by the way. That, that's kind of troubling to me. We, we call it human trafficking. Still a bad word, but let's just call it what it is. There are still, here's the, the numbers. There's no like actual log of these things, so it's, it's estimates. But they're, they're pretty close, I think. There are somewhere between 38 and 50 million slaves today, right now. Forced labor, torn away from their families. So, so you have either, either they're put into forced labor to produce many of the goods uh, that are sold. Or they are put into the sex industry, meaning prostitution or pornography. This is the world we live in. This is slavery. This is the, the horror of slavery. And I want to diminish that horror zero in this sermon. But I have to ask again, what makes slavery bad? Is it inherently evil? I, I kind of want to walk with you through this, why, why this question kept coming to my mind and why I had to wrestle with this uh, over this past week is uh, it's just not as simple to answer as you might think. You know, the, the book of Exodus started with the people of Israel as slaves in Egypt, and they are receiving this same kind of treatment that we think of, uh, that the Pharaoh is, is making these terrible laws, in fact, uh, there in the book of Exodus, that he's treating them so harshly, and his plan is to thin them out. He's actually trying to kill off some of the Israelites so that they won't be as strong. And, but just you, you read the first couple chapters of Exodus, and their, their treatment is horrific. And it's been that way for some 400 years for them. And, and so uh, you come to the book of Exodus and you, you have slavery put in this terrible, horrible light. 
And so kind of at that moment, I say, okay, slavery is bad. Slavery is inherently evil. You know, these people are made in the image of God. Therefore, it is always wrong to, to own a slave and, and to be a slave is always a bad thing. That, that's, that's the way I, I, I've reconciled this in, in my brain up until now. And I, I would say what we've talked about already with slavery, this, this ter- terrible treatment. Yes, they are made in the image of God. They are humans deserving of dignity. And so that is evil. But is slavery always inherently evil? And so here are the reasons it gets complicated. So God brings Israel out of their slavery. He, he draws them to Sinai. There he comes down upon Sinai and he speaks to them and he gives them the Ten Commandments. Okay, in those Ten Commandments, at least five of them, arguably seven, but at least five of them are explicitly dealing with human relationships. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie about your neighbor. That's, you know, bear false witness. Yet nowhere, you got to hear me on this, nowhere in the Ten Commandments, nowhere in the law of Moses, and nowhere in the rest of the Bible do you find any explicit command saying, you shall not have slaves. Now, absence does not make something okay. Just because God doesn't explicitly say it doesn't automatically mean that slavery in any form uh, is okay. And again, I am not trying to make slavery okay today. Uh, But I'm kind of just dealing with with this. Is, Is slavery inherently evil? So it's not ever commanded against, even though God does give very explicit commands And so not only does God not directly command against it, but when we come here to chapter 21, one of the very first things God touches on when he comes into the law of Moses, given to this redeemed people from their slavery, is how they should conduct their slavery. This starts to make the gears of my mind start turning. Turning may be too nice of a word. They start crunching the gears of my mind. I say, wait, what? I thought that was evil. Again, slavery as we generally think of it is 100% evil. I hate it. I wish it never happened. I wish I knew how to stop it today. But is slavery inherently evil? And there's, there's one last piece of this very unfinished puzzle that I want to give you just to Put this in your mind to help you think through, as I've been thinking this through uh, throughout, throughout the, the week. If you are a Christian today, the Bible calls you a slave of God. You say, I thought slavery was inherently evil. If you are a Christian today, the Bible unashamedly calls you a slave, a slave of God. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. 1 Peter 2.16 says that we are to be living as slaves of God. I put that in brackets because it says servants of God, but it's, it's, it's the same words. Uh, and this happens a lot in, in both the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament. You have abed is servant, slave. Uh, in uh, the New Testament, you have doulos, which can be servant, slave. The, the translators simply choose, but it's the exact same word as, as is in there in uh, Romans 6.22. You have become slaves of God. We are to be living as slaves of God. And so I take that piece of the puzzle. Again, my puzzle is still very unfinished. But I, I, I say it would be a pretty bold Uh, indictment of God, a pretty bold accusation to God to say, well, slavery in any form is always evil, even though God is a slave master and I am his slave. All of a sudden you start to say, well, okay, maybe there's something going on here, you know, what what, what is going on? And so here, just again, my unfinished puzzle, I just want to work through this with you a little bit. What makes slavery bad I believe the answer is this, sin. Sin makes slavery bad. Sin and sinful people doing sinful things and building a sinful 
construct and carrying out this slavery in sinful ways. It's possible. I'm not making a definitive statement that, but that, that it's sin that makes slavery bad, not necessarily the institution itself. Now, of course, the problem with that is all have sinned. And so we're, we're all sinners. And so uh, all of us, if we were to have slaves, would not carry it out perfectly. Again, I am zero advocating for modern day slavery or anything like that. But I, I just say, I, I look at this and I say, how could God take them out of slavery, knowing how terrible it was for them, and then say, hey, here's how you guys are going to do your slavery. I mean, because what we see here is that God does not command against slavery here in Exodus 21, but rather he gives Israel, a sinful people, living in a sinful world, Number one, if you're writing in your notes, a new understanding. He gives them a new understanding for what this normal in their day social construct would look like for them. And so you, you think about it this way. Are, are, are there some parents out there who are very bad parents? I hope I'm not one of them, by the way, but... Uh, there definitely are. Like you have some parents who they, they, they treat their children as commodities or they treat their children as though they're just in the way and they, they treat them harshly. They may beat them. They may uh, ruin their hearts emotionally. They may do all sorts of torment to that child. And we would say, well, that was wrong. That was evil. That was bad. I, I, I want to throw this in there. It doesn't make parenting bad. The, the construct of, of parenting bad. I, I'm not trying to say that uh, slavery is the same as parenting, but work with me here. So a child grows up in a, a, a messed up family, messed up parents. They were treated terribly. If they grow up and have children of, them, of their own, what's probably going to happen? If some sort of correction does not come into their life, if they don't gain a new understanding of what that parenting is supposed to look like, they're going to do the exact same thing as their parents did. And by the way, I still hate it when I see, you know, the flaws of my parents. I see it in myself. So, I mean, I still repeat, even though I have, you know, a new understanding. But this is what God is doing for Israel. They live in a world where slavery is just a normal part of society. And God says, you're not going to repeat the evils of, of your old masters, Egypt. You are going to do it differently. You're not going to walk in a relationship with me. You're not going to have been redeemed by me and then repeat what has happened to you, the wickedness that has happened to you. And so I want to show you quickly, as quickly as I can, we will spend some time here on number one because we need to understand how this was different, uh, this new understanding that they were to have of how their form of slavery was to be different. So the first thing I want to show you is this from Exodus 21, the terms. It's there in your notes if you, you want to you know, jot anything there. So generally, when we think of slavery, the terms, the circumstances in which slavery happens, we generally think of it being racially or ethnically oriented. It, it certainly was with, uh, you know, the antebellum South uh, here in America. It was white people were enslaving black people. It was racially and ethnically oriented that's what happened again for uh, Egypt and Israel. They, you had the, the Egyptians and you had the Israelites. And so they enslaved the Israelites. But notice what's going on here uh, in verse 2. Exodus 21 verse 2. It says, when you buy a Hebrew slave. Okay, so we need to do some logic here. Now, a Hebrew is just another term for an Israelite. The law of Moses is be, being given to the Israelites. And so here it's saying when you buy a Hebrew slave, and so unless I'm missing something here, it seems pretty difficult for this slavery to be ethnically or, or racially motivated or oriented when you have an Israelite with an Israelite slave. They would look the same. They would talk the same. They would have grown up 
uh, you know, together. They'd have grown up with the same culture. This is not, this, oops, this is not uh, racially oriented slavery. And so we can just take that out of our minds right now. For Exodus 21 right here, this is talking about Hebrews having Hebrew slaves. We say, okay, so maybe that actually makes things worse. Because when I think of slavery, I say, okay, slavery is when you, you, you take someone, maybe you capture them in the night or you raid their little town, you know, and, and, and you take all, all the, the strong men or, or anyone that could work and you take them and you make them slaves. And so isn't it worse that you have Hebrews forcing other Hebrews to be slaves? Well, here's the next thing we need to see. This was again in our reading, but 21, 16, this is verse 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. So what that means is if, if you are found or, you know, you're found out that you have stolen someone or sold someone or even purchased a stolen, captured, kidnapped person, you would be punished with the death penalty. So it's quite clear that this is not forced enslavement. This is not kidnapping. This is not capturing unwilling people and making them slaves. This is clearly a different type of slavery. Again, generally in the world, it was that type of slavery. The stronger made the weak their slaves. But that is not what's going on here today. So I kind of want to tell you what the actual terms were. The actual terms, I'll just kind of explain it, is that generally... You would have someone in destitute poverty. Destitute means they have no hope. They're, they're not making ends meet. Either destitute poverty and or they had an unpayable debt. So they willfully sold themselves into slavery. They willfully sell themselves into slavery because of their poverty or their debt. And so we need to remember that at this time, there was no such thing as a welfare system. There weren't uh, 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 work placement programs that you say, I, I don't know, I am not making it, so maybe these people can give me some skills and abilities and send me into the workforce, support me till I get there. That stuff did not exist at this time. If you were poor, you were poor. If you couldn't make ends meet, you could not make ends meet. Now, certainly the law of Moses uh, gave some provisions for the poor to help them uh, not die necessarily. They could, you know, glean the fields and things like that. But it, it couldn't help them get out of their poverty. In addition, there was no such thing as filing bankruptcy. You know, in uh, America, you, you get in debt that you cannot pay. There's a thing called bankruptcy. You file it. Your debt goes away. After a certain amount of years, you kind of start over with your, your debt. That, that was not the case. Uh, in ancient times. If you did not pay your debt, you were throwing, thrown into debtor's prison. And debtor's prison is where they held you until your debt was paid. Good luck paying your debt while you're in prison. I mean, it took like your friends and family trying to, to get everything together to maybe get you out if they could, but most likely your friends and family were poor. And so here's what I'm trying to help you understand. Entering into this willful slavery may not have been their childhood dream, coming true, but it was a very good option for someone in destitute poverty or with an unpayable debt. This is generally the terms that, that were happening. Now, another example that was given uh, here in, in verses 7 through 9 is that a poor family, it doesn't give all these terms. You see these uh, elsewhere in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and stuff like that of, of why these things happen, but Often what would happen is a poor family could not take care of, could not provide for their daughter. And so they would sell that daughter to be married into a wealthy family. It would help the impoverished family a little bit getting that, that price uh, for her. But it was actually an act of love and mercy towards that daughter that, hey, we can't provide for you. Like you may literally like starve if you stay in our family. And so they would sell them into a wealthier family to be married. Uh, we see this in Exodus 21, 7 through 9, and I'm just kind of hitting the highlights of it so you see it. 
when a man sells his daughter as a slave. So again, it's willful selling. His, his daughter did not get kidnapped. He's, he's made a decision. Okay, here's this family. Uh, I think they would be good for my daughter. So he sells his daughter as a slave. She shall not go out as the male slaves do. Say, okay, so she never has a release date. And we'll get to that later. Why not? It says, her master who has designated her for himself. Again, this is all confusing because I'm just hitting the highlights. Her master who has designated for himself. Then verse 9, if he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. So you you see there in that context, he's going to deal with her as a daughter if he's designated to the son. Why? Because either he is going to marry her and becomes a wife or his son marries her. He designates her for his son. And so the the master treats her not as a slave, but as a daughter. This is kind of, Again, I, I still don't want to make light of slavery. I don't want to paint too rosy a picture of the slavery that occurred in Israel. But again, the, these were options. These were comparatively good options for Israelite people to become slaves themselves, to get out of poverty or to get out of debt, or even to sell their daughter into a wealthy family so that she would have a chance of making it in this world Slavery for Israel was not meant to be harmful, but helpful. It was not meant to be exploitation, but a way to encourage them to to, to make it out of these hard times. So that's the, 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 what was it? The terms, the terms, like how they got into slavery. But next we need to see the treatment. And I just want to say, again, if I haven't mentioned already, these things were unheard of in the ancient world to have this kind of laws, this kind of protections on slaves. We already talked about how uh, the daughter, sorry, the, the female would be, would be treated as a daughter. Let's see if I can find that. It'll take me a second. Mm-mm. There we go. Just since we talked about that, it's fresh on your mind. It says there, uh, verse 7, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as, a, as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. So what that means is the family has chosen what family they're going to sell their daughter into. If the, if the master says, you know what, I actually don't want her uh, to take her as my wife or I, I, don't, I don't want her for my son either he can't just go sell her off to whoever he wants to she is protected that that family will redeem her he is not allowed to sell her to a foreign people they will buy her back it goes on to say verse 9 if he designates her for his son he shall not deal with her or sorry he shall deal with her as with a daughter so again he's not treating her as a slave verse 10 if he takes another wife to himself He shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. If he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So he takes her as her wife, but then he says, okay, I'm going to take another wife. He can't just like push her to the side. It says if she's not getting her food, her clothing, and and her marital rights, if she's not being treated as a wife, then she's free to go. I mean, these are amazing, amazing protections in the ancient world for this, this daughter who was sold uh, to, as a slave to become a wife. But then we think about the other slaves. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. We think about the other slaves and the treatment that they would receive. Again, we think about slaves with striped backs, right? Like that's what we imagine or, or, or a blind eye because they've been beaten so badly if they haven't even been killed because of the way that they have been treated. But we see these protections even in the way that the masters could treat them. Exodus 21, uh, verses 20 to 21. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. We'll come back to 21 in a second. So it's talking about physically disciplining the slaves. 
that, that may not sit well with you. Most of us don't like the idea of, of, of a person striking another person, but I, I wonder how much we read this through our culturally curated uh, eyes and hear it with our culturally curated ears. What, what I mean is this. Um, it was not that long ago that governments would physically beat criminals for their crimes. Uh, and this was a legitimate punishment. It is only in, in recent times, uh, again, only until recent decades, principals of schools would spank children for their bad behavior, right? Like you talk about, they'd go, you just think about the, the behind the schoolhouse, go get a switch for me. You know, like <laughs> this, this is what they did. Like it was not out of the ordinary. And I think we should also remember that even in the relationship between parents and children, God says, Proverbs, uh, there we go, Proverbs 13, I don't know what I've got going on there. Yep, Proverbs 13, uh, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So we, we don't like the idea of, of this discipline coming on the slaves. We certainly don't like the idea of, of any sort of physical discipline. But again, I, I wonder how much our, our, our culture has, has helped us to, to think that way. And always brutality is wrong. Always uh, um, this, this uh, <laughs> just, just pouring out your anger on someone is wrong. But that's what this is meant to protect. He says there, if the slave dies at his hand, he shall be avenged. What that means, according to uh, verse 12, is that he shall be put to death. Exodus 21, 12, I wonder if I've got that. No. There it is. Yep, Exodus 21, 12. Whoever strikes, this is in chapter 21, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. So if you kill a slave with your, your discipline, even if it's your slave, then you are put to death. Now, verse 21 is more difficult there. It says, but if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. Again, difficult, especially at a first reading to think through what it's saying there. It sounds harsh. It sounds unpleasant. But from what I understand uh, in this context, in this idea of protecting slaves, what it's saying is that the slave is his money. Like the master would not want to kill his slave. It's apparent that he was not trying to kill his slave since they lived a day or two. And it would be easy for someone to say, hey, you disciplined them a couple days ago and now they're dead. And so we should have him put to death. That's what the, the law says. And so the law, this is the only time we see the law protecting uh, the master in this way with this physical discipline is it's to say it's protecting them. Like you, you shouldn't automatically uh, judge this master based on something he did a couple of days ago. Um, and so this is kind of the idea. He's not trying to uh, treat the slave in such a harsh way that it would cause death or anything like that. Again, difficult passage, I know. Uh, but I, I want to help you even understand that a little bit more from verses 26 and 27. This is about the physical punishment. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Unheard of. Generally, you could treat your slave however you wanted. They were yours. They were like cattle. This is the way the world worked. But God is saying, be careful how you discipline them. Be careful what your punishment when they misbehave or, uh, or disobey or whatever your orders. Be careful what it looks like. If you strike them and it causes serious and especially permanent damage, that slave is going free for nothing. You, you've, you've lost that investment. And uh, elsewhere in the law, if you were to hurt someone's eye, your eye would be hurt. If you were to hurt their tooth, your tooth would, would be hurt, uh, knocked out. But here it's protecting the slave. It's saying, not, not worried so much about the punishment being exactly the same for the master, but it is protecting the slave. If you treat them like that, and, and, and it shows that you've got this, these issues and how you treat slaves, then they're going free. And so their, their treatment, even their discipline of slaves was heavily regulated. If they're married, they're to be treated as a wife. If it's the, the son of the master's wife, she's to be treated as a daughter. 
<clears throat> if, you're, if they're simply your servant, if you discipline them, be careful. If, if you knock out their tooth, hurt their eye, they're gone. If you kill them, you're dead. This is amazing protection for the slave class. And so we can see the treatment was utterly different than the way the world understand it, understood it at this point. But the last thing I want us to look at quickly is the termination, the end of their term as a slave. <clears throat> Usually, slaves did not have a termination date. Once a slave, always a slave. You, you became uh, under someone's lordship, and, and you remained that way until the day that you died. And even in the cultures that sometimes did have a termination date, it was very common for masters to continually extend that date. Bad behavior, that's an extra year. You know, like, uh, oh, you want, you want a, little, uh, a little more food? Well, let's, let's I'll add a year. You think about what Laban did, by the way, in, the, in Genesis. He <laughs> adds seven more years. Anyway, I don't have time to get into that. This is a pattern that masters, because of sin, would desire to extend the termination date of this slave-master relationship but that is not what we see here in Exodus. Exodus 21, verse 2, When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out for free for nothing. Six years of work and no more. There was no, you did bad behavior, so I'm adding a year. No, that would be going against the law of Moses. The slave is being protected from the manipulation of evil masters. If, if they had that sinful desire in their heart, they are being protected in that way. Six years, no more. But not only that, you have to get, look in Deuteronomy for this, the second giving of the law. That's the literal meaning of the word Deuteronomy. Uh, the second giving of the law. So in this very same context, here's what it says. I love this. Uh, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. So we just saw that in Exodus. <clears throat> but here, here we go, verse 13. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. And so the idea here is they didn't come in impoverished, get a small lump sum of money, which that's what they'd get for selling them uh, themselves into as a slave. They didn't come in and just get their debt paid off. They are sent out with a good start, a little nest egg for the future. Supply them liberally out of your flock. This is give them animals. Give, give them out of the threshing floor. Give them, them wheat right now that they can be making bread uh, as they go out there. Give them from your wine press that they can drink or sell it. They can do whatever they need to here. It is giving them a new start for their new life. This is what the termination, according to the law of Moses, Deuteronomy is still the law of Moses, was supposed to look like. Six years, no more, and when you send them out, you better send them out ready to start their new life. Liberally furnish them, it says there. But with all that, some slaves would not want to leave. And this is just another way that we look at this slavery and say it's, it's very different. Some would not want to leave. Again, I'm, I'm going to try to work through this quickly. There's a lot going on here, but I, I want to give you the sense of it. It says in verse 3, so this is the person who comes in and, you know, works six years and, and goes out on the seventh year. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. Verse 4, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, that's a spike, and he shall be his slave forever. Now, Again, this, this, is, this is another protection that we see for the masters, not in the treatment of, of slaves, but in the, the retention of the, the slaves that they had purchased with their money. What you would have happen, well, humans, we're, we're wired to look for loopholes. Uh, uh, anyway, 
So think about this. A male slave comes in, he works three years or so, you know, he works three of his, his six years, and then a female slave comes in. You know, she says, okay, hey, let's, let's get married. And so in three years, when you get out, I'll get out. Even though I had three years left, we'll, we'll get to leave. Surely <clears throat> the master will let me go with you since we're married, and especially so if we have children. And so this was a way that slaves would would manipulate the system. And so in the law of Moses, you have this protection that says, no, you're, you're not going to do that. The master has paid money. He has made this investment that you will work your full time. And so he, you can't immediately go out. Okay, I just wanted to explain that to you, but it's not the main thing I want to point out here. What was the reason the slave stayed? Verse five, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, and he says, my wife, my children, I will not go free. Now, what's interesting is uh, within the, the, the law of Moses elsewhere in Leviticus, we see that a person could be redeemed out of their slavery. So this husband had options. He could redeem her out of slavery. He could just kind of wait, you know, stay close to that house, wait for that three years to be up. But in this case, he is choosing to stay as a forever slave of this master, why? He plainly says, I love my master. I will not go out free. In Deuteronomy, so we've got this here. Again, the second giving of the law, it doesn't even mention the marriage thing. That, that's, that's altogether absent from this part of the law. Uh, look at it there in, in 16 and 17 of, of Deuteronomy 15. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. I call this a love that bonds. They, they, they probably did not desire to go into that slave master's house. Again, this is not the dream to become someone's slave even for six years. But over time, this slave has worked, and he says, man, I really love my master. I, I love the way that he treats me. I love the way that he speaks to me. I love the way that he cares for me. I, I, and, and I actually love his family as well. He says, um, because he loves you and your household. I, I, I love the people that he's around. Like he, he's trained them up and, and they're, they're all just great. And then it says there, and since he is well off with you, he's, the slave is saying, you know, I'm actually better off staying here as a slave than I would be going free, even with my debts paid, even with this parting gift that Deuteronomy has told him to give, even with all those things, I would, I believe I would actually be better off here with my master, with his family, because I love him, because of the way he treats me. Again, this is a very different picture of slavery than what we think of. This is a very different picture. God is giving them a new understanding for what slavery is supposed to be like. You don't capture them. It's not racially motivated. Um, the, the treatment of them, you're going to treat them with kindness and dignity and respect. Like, yeah, there's discipline, but it will not be harsh. In fact, when termination day comes, you should have treated them so well that they want to stay with you, that they enter into a blood covenant. That's the idea there. That all goes through their ear, the organ of hearing and obeying, hearing orders and obeying. And it would be a blood covenant as the blood runs uh, down the doorpost. Sorry for talking about that, some of you who get queasy. But um, that's just the reality. This is a covenant. This is a covenant that's being made of like, I want to stay with you. I want to listen to you. I want to obey you because I love you and I love your family and I, I love being a part of what you have more than I love going out free. Very interesting, very interesting. Now, I've spent quite a bit of time explaining this new understanding that Israel was to have uh, of their slavery, but it's so important because we, if we just come into it saying like, God is like, legislating their slavery like i mean if it's going to look the same as egypt yeah we would we'd start to question god are you sure that's what you want to command them to do but here we see a a new understanding of slavery they, the treatment was supposed to be completely different it was supposed to be helpful rather than hurtful i i again i just i want to say i i am it makes me sick when I've been reading these stories and statistics 
about slaves. But what was going on here in Israel, Hebrew to Hebrew slaves, was something very, very different. Now, I told you last week <clears throat> that every bit of the law, every bit of, uh, every bit of the Bible, really, but every bit of the law of Moses, one of the impacts it's supposed to have on us, one of the purposes it's supposed to have in our life is that it is supposed to help us see Christ more clearly, to see Christ more clearly in the law. That's what the law is meant to do. And so I have it backward in your notes. I changed my mind. Um, so it's number three in your notes. But I want to talk about this first before we get to application uh, into our own life. I want us to see the Christ connection here. You say, well, how in the world are we going to find Christ connections in, in this, these laws about slavery? I think you are going to love this part of the sermon. I think it's going to give you, again, another appreciation, a greater level of appreciation for God's word and how he has intimately, intricately tied Christ through all of it in beautiful ways that will help our hearts to love him even more. Here's the first Christ connection I want to show you. Christ is the king who willingly made himself a slave to redeem us from our sin debt. I know it's a long point, but there's a lot going on there. Christ is the king of the world, right? The whole world was created through him and by him. And yet this king makes himself a slave to pay our sin debt. By the way, who was our sin debt owed to? Who had we sinned against? Our king. I mean, this is incredible. Look at these verses. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, meaning he was equal with God, he was God, he was king. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. A thing to be held on to is the meaning there. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Again, same word, doulos, form of a servant, a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedience, that's what a slave is supposed to do. They're obedient to their master. He's obedient to Father God here. He comes down as a servant, as a human. Why? Uh, Colossians 2, 13 and 14 helps us see this a little bit. God made us alive together with him, that's Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Rather than an all, an all a spike being put through Jesus' ear, it went through his hands and through his feet. Jesus willingly, the king willingly made himself a slave, a servant of all. And he willingly paid the debt that we owe even though the debt was owed to him. This is what Jesus did. He took our debt upon himself, paid it in full, that we might be set free. There are few realities that are more beautiful than that one, than the king becoming a slave to set his own debtors free. This is beautiful, and this is Jesus. This is what he has done for us. But there is more. I want to show you another thing. Christ becomes your new master. When you trust in him, Christ becomes your new master, and he's the type you want to serve forever. You remember the, the, the picture of the, the, the slave who says, my time is up, but... I love you. I love your household. It goes well with me here. I, I want to be your slave forever. Jesus is the type of master that wants, makes us want to be his servants forever. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. 
Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember, we become slaves of God. Jesus says, yes, because of what I've done, I I set you free from sin. I set you free from bondage to to, to Satan and to, to death. But you become my servant and I'm the type of master you want to serve. I, I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And, and the picture there is Jesus doesn't just tell us, go serve me. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is put, tying two animals together as the image here that they would go plow a field. Jesus says, I'll, I'll do the heavy lifting. Like take my yoke upon you. Yes, you will work. Yes, you will serve, but your burden will be light and easy. I love how Romans uh, 6, 17 puts it. It says, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. So Jesus, here's what he does. He frees us from our slavery, our bondage to sin, uh, including that sin debt of punishment, but he frees us from that bondage of sin that we have to obey our flesh, that we have to follow Satan, uh, whether or not we know it. He says, you were, you were once slaves to sin, but now you have become obedient from the heart. I hope you understand this. This is a reality I'm still coming to grips with in my own practical life. True freedom is not the absence of slavery. True freedom is not the absence of slavery. True freedom is doing the right thing and wanting to do it. True freedom is obeying Christ and being obedient from the heart. That's true freedom, and that's what Jesus does. He is such a good, powerful, loving, glorious, beautiful, kind master. He's a transforming master that he not only tells us what to do, the right path that we should walk, but he gives us the desire to walk it even as he walks it with us. This is the type of master Jesus is. He's the type you obey, but you want to obey him. He's the type you want to be his forever slave. Now, there are many more Christ connections in this passage. I wish I had time uh, to go through them all, but, but those are the ones I want you to see. You say, ah, slavery, that's bad. Yeah, Jesus became a slave. He, he became poor that we would become rich. He, he became a debtor so that we could go free. Jesus did that for us, even though he's the king. And Jesus is the type of master that we want to serve forever. And so we need that understanding of of what we can now see in the law of Moses that helps us to see the beauty of Jesus more clearly, the beauty of who he is, the beauty of what he has done, and what we get to enjoy forever. But I think there should be applications today. So number two, again, it was number two in your notes, but I want to hit this last after seeing the Christ connection, an appropriate application. How do we apply these verses about slavery in Israel to our lives? Well, first, because we've just seen the Christ connection, become a forever servant of Christ. I'm running out of time, but I got to say this. Some of you, much like that slave in verse two, You may not want to be here today. That slave didn't want to be a slave when they first started, right? Maybe you don't even want to be here in church. Maybe your spouse dragged you. Kids, maybe your parents are dragging you here today. Maybe a friend invited you and you say, this isn't what I want to do, but it's better than the alternative, right? That's what the slave is doing in in verse 2. He becomes a slave because of his poverty or debt or whatever. But what I want to encourage you in today is, if you have not become a forever slave of Jesus, if you are, have not entered into that blood covenant, that by the way, it's Christ's blood rather than yours, if you have not entered into that today, do it. He's a good master. He will clear your record of debt. He will put you into the family of God, literally married into you. You recognize that Christians are the bride of Christ to be treated as the bride of Christ forever. Again, other Christ connections there that I didn't have time to cover. 
If you have not entered into this covenant today, please do. Jesus is a good master. He's a so much better master than sin and my sinful pursuit of pleasure. Enter into that. Become a forever servant of Christ. That's one application I see here. Another application I see is treat people differently than the way the world treats people. Do you see that from Exodus 21? The world treats slaves as cattle, as commodities. You Israelites, you're going to treat people differently. If you're in a relationship with me, God, if, if you're in a relationship with God, you're not going to treat people the same way the world does. And so I encourage you, friends, I know you don't have slaves, but, but you are still in authority over people. You still wield power over some people in your life. Maybe it's at work you have some authority. Maybe it's in your family you have some authority. Do not use that authority the same way the world does. Don't exploit people. Don't hurt them just because you're stronger than them. And, and again, I would say this, not, not all wounds are, are physical. You, you may not physically beat your employees. You may not physically beat your children, but, but we can beat emotionally. But we should be, like what we see here in Exodus 21, the type of authority that our workers, that our children, or whoever else, that they want to follow us. They want to remain with us. Our, our workers shouldn't always be looking for another job because they want to get away from you. Your children shouldn't be just waiting for that day that they're 18 so they can get out from under your roof. Now, they may move away, but it should be a sad thing, not a glad thing for them that they finally get away from you. That's the type of leaders that we should be. And we should learn that. A very practical uh, application here from Exodus 21. Don't, don't look to the world for advice. Look to the Bible. Look to God. Look to the example of Christ for how you should treat other people. <clears throat> Finally, I would say this. Fight slavery however you can. Whatever ways you can fight modern day slavery, this is not good slavery that we have going on today. Forced Labor is not in any way, shape, or form like the slaves that we are of God. <laughs> this is not something that we should support. And I, I would just say, I know this is difficult, uh, but whatever degree we can not support those companies who are exploiting, you know, capturing and forcing people to, to make their products and then we buy them, uh, it's difficult. I mean, everything says made in China, so it's, it's pretty hard to know how those things got made. You know, but to the best of your ability, try not to support these companies that are obviously using slaves. If you know about it, do your best to just buy from another supplier. There's fair trade options, by the way. That's what fair trade means. It means that all through their supply line, there is no slavery. There is no exploitation. People are paid fair wages. Um, and I think that we should, as Christians, be, be about that. I think the, the Israelites should absolutely oppose the type of uh, slavery that they were a part of uh, there in Egypt. And I think we should oppose that type of slavery today. And another way you can fight slavery, some of you are going to think this is awkward, but it's whatever. Um, do not engage, <coughs> excuse me, do not engage in this sexual industry at any level. The large proportion of, of both prostitutes and porn stars or whatever, the, the people in the pornographic images or videos are not free. They're living as slaves. Your click, your purchase of that content, your scrolling over their images or videos is supporting the slave industry. Whatever we can do. Uh, by the way, there are many reasons not to go to a prostitute or, or be engaged in, in pornography, but if nothing else, this is a very good one to not be supporting slavery, but in fact, to be fighting it. We have seen uh, a great deal today in, in a very difficult text, it, slavery in Israel. But we've seen a new understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, a new understanding. We've seen the Christ connection, how he fulfills the, the beauty of, of what Israel was supposed to do in their treatment of people and then we've seen these practical applications. 
Make Jesus your forever master. And then go out and live as a free person, treating other people with the love and kindness you have been shown. And fight slavery in whatever way you can. Let's pray. Father God, we, we still confess that we don't fully understand your wisdom. Your ways are not our ways. We don't understand every bit of your your plan of redemption and the way that you would work through Israel and through these laws to bring about your saving purposes. But God, we do trust you, even if we don't perfectly understand things. And even today, we are thankful to see that that part of what you were doing, at least, was, was showing us a picture of what Christ would one day do for us. That he would make himself not a captured slave, not forced into uh, servitude, but a willing servant of those who were indebted to him. And that in that slavery, he would pay the ultimate ultimate price on the cross. He would pay the ultimate debt on the cross, the punishment for our sin. Oh Lord, we are so thankful for what Christ Jesus has done. We are so thankful that we can come to him to have our sin removed, to be given his righteousness, and to be given eternal life as your slaves with you as our great, glorious master and king. God, we want to serve you. We want to live for you. We want others to know they, can, they too can be set free from their bondage to Satan and sin and death. They can come to you, the master who paid the price for his own slaves. God, help us to share this message of salvation. Lord, that more people can become your everlasting servants. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.